Welcome to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast, where we strive to share an authentic interpretation of Mason's life work. We thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy the program. Editor's Note. This week, we continue our journey through The Changing Year. For more information on how to use this inspiring resource by Florence Haynes, please see the episode entitled A Walk in February. We hope this week's episode will give you interesting ideas for special studies, as well as a nudge to go outside yourself to explore nature this unique time of year. A Walk in April from The Changing Year by Florence M. Haynes. Next came fresh April, full of lusty head and wanton as a kid whose horn knew buds. Upon a bull he rode, the same which led Europa floating through thargalic floods. His horns were gilden all with golden studs and garnished with garlands goodly dight of all the fairest flowers and freshest buds which the earth brings forth. And wet he seemed, in sight with waves, through which he waded for his love's delight. Spencer. Wet indeed, for are not showery days characteristic of April weather, rain, and sunshine both together? Yet April showers bring milk and meal, and a growing April and a dry May are good for wheat, but bad for hay. Yet cold and windy weather are also favorable for... A cold April the barn will fill. And when April blows his horn, it's good for both hay and corn. While if it thunders on All Fool's Day, it brings good crops of corn and hay. Avril le doux quand il se fâche le pire de tout, say the French. While to the Italians, April and May are the keys of the year. And the Spaniards have a proverb, I will give you the whole world if you will give me April and May. Now birds are singing, green things growing, insects humming, trees unfolding their tender leaves, copse and meadow garnished with all the fairest flowers or freshest buds which the earth brings forth. For April, with his hack and his bill, plants a flower on every hill. And groweth seed and bloweth mead and springeth the wood new. Sing cuckoo. German legend tells us that the cuckoo was once a baker's man who used to help himself to a share of the dough and call gukuk, gukuk, look, look, to distract attention when the loaves were drawn from the oven. For his dishonesty, he was changed into a bird and condemned evermore to repeat his cry, hence his name of Becca Necht and the white spots as of flower upon his feathers. According to Tim's, the cuckoo begins to sing early in the season, with the interval of a minor third. The bird then proceeds to a major third, next to a fourth, then a fifth, after which his voice breaks without attaining a minor sixth. From this bird has been derived the minor scale the cuckoo's couplet being the minor third sung downward. From a garland for the year. An old rhyme, dated 1587, runs, In April the cuckoo can sing her song by rote. In June of tune she cannot sing a note. At first, cuckoo, cuckoo, sing still can she do. At last, cuckoo, 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 
Six Cooks to One Coo. The water-bubbling note of the female cuckoo, for it is usually but not invariably the male that calls, has been rendered as quick-quick-quick by Brame and quow-wow-wow-wow by Seabom. The common cuckoo is a large bird, slightly over a foot in length and widely distributed in range. Its eggs are small in comparison to its size, and recent investigations show that it lays a large number, perhaps 20, in a season. These are produced at intervals, and at one time it was thought that they were carried in the mother's beak to the nest of the foster parents, only one egg being deposited in a nest, which is carefully chosen to correspond with that in which the bird itself was reared. The valuable investigations and photographic films of Mr. E.P. Chance have, however, demonstrated that, in many cases at least, the egg is actually laid in the nest, the cuckoo first removing one already there and holding it in her beak while laying her own. Afterwards, she backs out of the nest tail first, so leaving the front grass and foliage undisturbed. Then, flying to a distant tree, she adds insult to injury by devouring the stolen egg. To turn one's silver on first hearing the cuckoo is a very old custom, and it is lucky to have both money and a knife in one's pocket on this occasion, for then we shall lack neither wealth nor sport throughout the year. Young girls demand of the bird the date of their marriage, each cuckoo signifying a year, and the time of one's death is ascertained by older folk in the same way. This last custom is at any rate as old as the 13th century. For Caesarius tells us of a man who, on his way to enter a monastery, heard a cuckoo and stopped to count the number of the calls, 22. Oh, said the half-hearted would-be novice, as I have 22 years longer to live, why should I mortify myself in a monastery for all that time? I will go and live merrily for 20 years, and it will be quite time enough to betake me to the monastery for the other two. The nightingale also returns in April, but only east of the X and south of York. And indeed, its exquisitely liquid notes are rarely heard beyond the valley of the Trent. These notes, according to Milton, first heard before the shallow cuckoo's bill portends success in love. The nightingale belongs to the same genus as the robin, and the young of both, like various members of the Tour de Day, have the spotted breast of the true thrush. The first of the swallows to appear is the little brown sand martin, which excavates a tunnel two or three feet long, generally in some sandy bank, in which it places its nest of grass and feathers. The tunnel is sloped upwards to prevent the entrance of moisture, and is used year after year. The house martin is readily distinguished from the house or chimney swallow by the white patch on its back, pure white underparts and square tail, whereas the slightly larger chimney swallow has no patch, a long forked tail and a black necklace above his chestnut throat. Everywhere the swallows are welcome visitors and most European countries have a variant of our own rhyme. Robinettes and Jenny Wrens are God Almighty's friends. The blackbirds and swallows are God Almighty's scholars. While the robin and the redbreast, the marten and the swallow. If you take an egg of theirs, bad luck is sure to follow. Nevertheless, continental folklore is uncomplimentary to the swallows. 
They alone among birds chattered and flew about as usual during the dread hour of the crucifixion. Hence, they must never rest, but seek their food in waste and desolate places. Again, a swallow stole the spool of cotton and scissors with which the Blessed Virgin was working and hid them, denying the theft. And forevermore, the bird bears the evidence of its guilt. The white spool on the chest, the scissors in the forked tail. Of very similar appearance to the swallows, though really allied to the hummingbirds and goat suckers, is the common swift. It arrives in April and May and leaves in August. In flight, it is swifter than any British bird, hence its name. And while flying, it makes sudden rapid turns and twists more like a bat than a bird. These, in conjunction with its sickle-shaped wings and dusky body, serve to distinguish it from the swallows. It is about seven inches long, and its note is a shrill, short scream, whereas that of the swallow is a soft twitter. Swifts never alight on ground or tree, even building their nests, in holes, in walls, cliffs, etc., or under the eaves of cottages, with straw and feathers caught on the wing. The black cap, in song second only to the nightingale, and the pretty little white throat, Peggy white throat, are April arrivals. The latter builds its nest in a low bush or among nettles, etc., on the ground, hence its name of nettle creeper. Now the meadow pipit, also known as the meadow or titlark, sings joyously as he rises towards the clouds, and the long-tailed tit, linnet, chaffinch, and stonechat are busy weaving grass, hair, moss, etc., into cozy nests. The wren makes a domed structure in a bank or at the root of a tree. The bullfinch uses twigs and fine roots. The meadow pipit builds under a tuft of grass. The sheldrake and redshank by the shore, the former in some sandy burrow, hence its name burrow duck, the latter under a tuft of grass or low shrub. The great crested grebe and lesser grebe or dab chick place their nests of matted leaves almost upon the water, and the moor or water hen by the edge, while the wild swan is even now sitting on her nest among the reeds. Like all water birds, the young ones are covered with fluffy down and take to their native element with surprising rapidity. Now the caterpillars of the magpie or gooseberry moth are found, the larvae reproducing the white ground, speckled with black and yellow spots of the adult insect. Other caterpillars also and various moths, including the Quaker moth, light underwing, pine beauty, mullen, and brindled beauty moths. Also the orange tip and azure or holly blue butterfly. Now the sycamore or great maple, hornbeam, black and white poplar, beech and oak are unfolding their leaves. The beech covered with drooping catkins like tiny balls, and the oak with yellow-green tassels. The ash, too, is expanding its curious dark flowers, and the larch is beautiful with its rosy plumelets. The seeds will be scattered next spring, but the cones remain on the tree for several years. The larch, unlike other conifers, casts its leaves in the autumn. But it is interesting to notice that the young trees are partially evergreen for their first four years, evidently a survival of a former state. Most of the willows, 
of which we have 17 or 18 British species, flower in April. Among them, the sallows are conspicuous by their golden palms, a veritable treasure house for hungry insects, especially bees, who store the honey and employ the pollen for bee bread. Like all willows, the various species of sallow are dioecious, the male tree bearing the staminate gold palms, still worn in the north of England on Palm Sunday, and the female, the pistillate silver pussy palms. The seed vessels lengthen into pods which presently open, and the seeds, each enveloped in a covering of fluffy down, are driven in clouds before the wind. In Rome upon Palm Sunday, they bear true palms. The cardinals bow reverently and sing old psalms. Elsewhere those psalms are sung mid olive branches. The holly bough supplies their place among the avalanches. More northern climes must be content with the sad willow. The yew, too, is and was an ecclesiastical palm, and this most probably accounts for the planting of the tree, as also the willow, in churchyards. The white or Huntingdon willow with downy leaves and the crack willow, so-called because its twigs break off with a clean snap, are often pollarded. The almond-leaved French or brown Norfolk willow is frequently cut down and treated as an osier. In the woods, the wild service tree is in flower. In some places, the wild pear, the original of our cultivated pear, also wild currant, black and red, the forerunners of the garden varieties. Below, the ground is covered with primroses, violets, wood anemones, and the delicate bells of the wood sorrel, while the crumpled carpet of the dry leaves brown avails not to keep down the hyacinth blades. The bluebell, or wild hyacinth, was formerly known as harebell, and is so called in White's Naturalist's Calendar, and in the appropriate rhyme, the flower being dedicated to the saint. On St. George's Day, when blue is worn, the blue harebells the field adorn. On the other hand, the bluebell of Scotland is our present harebell. For the old custom of wearing a blue coat on St. George's Day, April 23rd, the origin is unknown, but the practice is alluded to in an old play, Ram Alley. I will be knight, wear a blue coat on great St. George's Day. The thick, viscid juice of the wild hyacinth was formerly used for stiffening linen. The name was given in memory of the beautiful youth Hyacinthus, slain by the jealous Zephyr, who diverted the heavy discus thrown by Apollo full against the head of the unfortunate youth. After vainly trying to restore him to life, Apollo raised a beautiful flower from his blood, a flower bearing on its petals the mystic letters A-I, alas, or always. Our English species, being without such markings, it is known as Hyacinthus non scriptus, not written. Another species of the same genus, the vernal squill, grows on the seacoast, bearing clusters of starry blue flowers. With the hyacinths, we shall probably find the early purple orchis, the male fool's orchis of White's calendar. From its tuberous root was extracted the salop so popular in olden days. The primrose from the Latin primus, first, in allusion to its early appearance, gives its own name to its colour. 
which the Reverend C.A. Johns in his Flowers of the Field describes as a pale yellow, or as artists often maintain, a delicate green. Spencer speaks of the primrose green in his Shepherd's Calendar. Chaucer writes of the primrose, and Lydgate of the Freusia primorollis. But it is uncertain which is the particular plant intended, for at one time the daisy and later the cowslip was the fiore di primavera, flower of early spring, contracted to primaverola, and Frenchified to primverol. Ben Johnson writes of the primrose drop, the spring's own spouse, and the flower was used in love divinations, while legend speaks of Paralisos, the son of Flora, who pined and died when separated from a loved nymph, and was transformed by his mother into a primrose. Primrose Hill takes its name from the flowers that once grew there. And in the legend of Sir Owain, we are told of the paradise of the blessed. Fair were her herbers with flowers, rose and lily, diverse colors, primrose and parwink, periwinkle. The dark wood violet may be distinguished from the pale not only by the color, but because the former has many branching veins in the lowest petal, the latter only a few parallel ones. The spur of the dog violet is yellow. The marsh violet is common on boggy ground, while the hairy violet grows on chalky soil. The delicate green leaves of the wood sorrel are so sensitive to cold that they not only close at night but even during the day when the weather is bad. Gerard describes them as heart-shaped and triply folded and its root creeping like beaded coral. The wood sorrel is also known as Alleluia because its appearance coincides with the return of Alleluia at Easter and it is most probably the original shamrock plucked by St. Patrick to illustrate the doctrine of the Blessed Trinity. The scientific name is from the Greek oxys, acid. The well-known salt of lemon and salt of sorrel are prepared from this plant, which is also widely used on the continent as salad. Now, too, daisies pied and violets blue, and lady smocks all silver white, and cuckoo buds of yellow hue do paint the meadows with delight. This well-known reference to cuckoo buds is the only one in English literature and it is supposed that cowslips or buttercups were the flowers intended. The lady smock, however, is widely known as cuckoo flower. Its other name was originally Our Lady's Smock, from the resemblance of the pale-coloured blossoms to linen spread out to dry. In Yorkshire, spring is said to have fully come when one can plant one's foot upon nine daisies, those pearled arcturi of the earth. The Saxon Dages Eje, Eye of Day, Chaucer's of all flowers, the flower. The scientific name, Bellis perennis, is from the Latin bellus, pretty. And the plant was so known in the time of Pliny. To the Italians, it is Pratolina, meadow flower, or Fiore di Primavera. To the French, Marguerite, pearl. And to the Germans, Gänselblümchen little goose flower, but also tausend schönchen, a thousand prettinesses. Beloved by poets and children, to the Scots it is the Bairnswort, Bairnsweed, and the Gowan of Burns and Hamilton. 
Sidney Dobble, in his charming chanted calendar, after likening the primrose to a maiden watching a battle from a tower, and the windflower to one wounded and disheveled with purple streaks of woe, says of the daisies, Like a bannered show's advance while the crowd runs by the way, with ten thousand flowers about them they came trooping through the fields. As a happy people come, so came they. As a happy people come when the war has rolled away, with dance and tabor, pipe and drum, and all make holiday. Then came the cowslip like a dancer at the fair. She spread her little mat of green, and on it danced she. With a fillet bound about her brow, a fillet round her happy brow, a golden fillet round her brow, and rubies in her hair. These rubies are the fairy favors spoken of by Puck, the gift of the fairy queen. A country name for the cowslip is fairy cups, and we know when pattering raindrops begin to fall, tiny faces look wistfully through blades of grass for some friendly cowslip. In a moment, little gossamer-robed forms are clambering up the stalks, rushing each one into the nearest bell. Then comes a symphony of soft, sweet voices, and he who listens may hear, perchance, a melody of fairyland. The cowslip is the German Schlüsselblume the key flower which admits into the palace of nature. Also, the Himmelschlüsselchen, or keys of heaven, while an old name is St. Peter's herb or herb Peter. And in Holland and Sweden, the flower is the key of May. Old herbalists valued the plant as a remedy against palsy and called it herba paralysis. And in some parts of England, it is still known as palsywort, also pagel, which possibly means drooping. Ben Johnson, in Pan's Anniversary, speaks of blue harebells, pagels, pansies, calaminth. Like the cow's lip, the ox lip is a member of the primrose family. The close connection between the three is easily apparent if we split a primrose plant in two, when the flower stalks will be seen to spring from a common stem, as do those of the cow's lip and ox lip. The common arum, cuckoo pint, or wake robin belongs to the same family as the trumpet lily or calla, and its pale green spathe is unmistakable. Inside is the club-like spadix, purple or yellowish-white, surrounded at foot by the anthers and seed vessels, the latter producing the rings of scarlet berries so conspicuous in autumn. It is uncertain whether the flies so often found within the spathe are imprisoned solely for the purposes of fertilization, which in the arum is most interesting and curious, or whether they are utilized as food. Children know this plant as lords and ladies, the purple spikes being the lords, the pale colored ones the ladies. It has been suggested that the name was originally Our Lord and Our Lady, and the plant is considered an emblem of the passion, representing the column and the scourge. The leaves, too, are spotted with blood from the cross, whence the arum is known as passion flower and Gethsemane. The latter name is also given to the early purple orchis, whose leaves are similarly marked. Though the arum is highly poisonous, containing sharp needle-like crystals which effectually protect its leaves from cattle, etc., a kind of flower was formerly prepared from the root, and known as Portland arrowroot. We must only briefly notice the remaining April flowers. The greater stitchwort, 
also known as satin flour and adder's meat, garlic mustard, jack by the hedge, or sauce alone with white clustered flowers, heart-shaped, large toothed leaves and strong scent of garlic, the wood or wild strawberry, Goldilocks, the handsome yellow dead nettle called also archangel and more prosaically weasel snout, the little moscatel, the rue-leaved or three-fingered saxifrage, and white meadow saxifrage, dog's mercury, the great wood rush, and the broad-leaved hairy wood rush, the wild beaked parsley or chervil, the common vetch, and the herb robert, shining, and soft or dove's foot crane's bills, the various speedwells of which germander speedwell known as angel's eyes, blue speedwell, bird's or cat's eye, is one of the most familiar. The genus, of which there are 19 British species, is easily recognized by the fact that the lowest of the four petals is narrower than the other three. The name, an equivalent for farewell, refers to the fleeting nature of these petals. And in Norway, the plant is known as man's faith. Like the cow's lip and anemone, the little speedwell is a fairy flower. The common wayside mouse-ear chickweed may be distinguished from the broad-leaved or clustered mouse-ear chickweed by its straggling stems and clusters of flowers with lengthening stalks, the clustered mouse-ear chickweed having erect stems and short-stalked flowers. The flower stalks of the yellow and blue or parti-coloured scorpion grass and of the early field scorpion grass curl up in serpent-like coils till the flower opens, hence the name. Both are of the forget-me-not genus, the first bearing pale yellow flowers turning later to blue, the second a smaller plant, minute bright blue blossoms. Now we may find the pink waxy bells of the whortleberry, bilberry or windberry, and the brownish purple blossoms of the black crow or crakeberry. And in the cornfields, the mouse tail, Myosurus minimus, the scientific name is the Greek equivalent for the English. The little plant is easily known by the resemblance of the upright spike of pale yellowish flowers to a mouse's tail. The field matter grows on cultivated and Alexander's on waste ground. The wallflower has been naturalized on old walls in the south of England. The yellow figwort is also a local plant. So is the common box tree found on chalky downs, and probably indigenous. Among uncommon and rare flowers are the large-flowered bittercress, the spring sankfoil, the spring gentian, wet limestone rocks in northern counties and Ireland, umbelliferous jagged chickweed, old walls in Norfolk and Suffolk, the narrow-leaved lungwort, woods in Dorsetshire, Isle of Wight, and the New Forest. The common lungwort is sometimes found as a garden escape. The speedwell-leaved whitlow grass grows on limestone hills in the west, the purple mountain saxifrage on rocks in the north, the tasteless mountain currant, like the other two species, in northern woods, while the fertility, or snake's head, has its habitat in watery meadows in the south. The spring vetch and naked-stalked teasdalia the only British species prefer a dry situation, and the wild tulip is occasionally found in chalk pits. The spider orchis, too, on chalky soil, 
and the toothed medic on sandy ground. The bulbiferous coral root grows in shady places, chiefly in the eastern counties, and the keeled fruited corn salad is occasionally found on banks, but is not native. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program.